Welcome to the Sporting Ones podcast, focusing on cricket for a beautiful Thursday afternoon. Just channeling, channeling my inner KG there. Uh, shout out to you, KG. Um, how you going, Hados? I'm well, Paulie. Uh, a little bit disturbed after that KG reference, but uh, I know that you've got a lot of things that you want to talk about, so... Let's hear it. Well, we're focusing on cricket, and last week we focused on the Ashes and potential Ashes 11s, squads, makeups, one-day side, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, this week we're going to focus on the BBL and how it ended up and our perhaps our players of the season, players of the finals, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to review the finals. There was three of them, and um, I picked absolutely none of them right. I'm zero out of three. So my big bash... Uh, predictions and form is pretty much uh, null and void, much like the Hobart Hurricanes. Yeah, they let us down. I think uh, they, were, they were my tip too. But uh, I did have one half, the Renegades. They made the final and eventually won. I wouldn't have picked that. But uh, one out of three ain't bad. Yeah, and I, and I did say um, that the winner would come from the Hurricanes and the Stars matchup. And again, I was completely, completely wrong. Although, having said that, after 12 overs and uh, the Melbourne Stars being done for 93, I thought it was a fairly good shout. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people uh, were as perplexed as you at what eventuated. All right, so it all kicked off at this time last Thursday night. It was the Hurricanes versus the Stars. Hurricanes were at home. Thought, Hurricanes batting first, you beauty, Wade and Short, get off to fly out. No, James Worrell. No, James Worrell. Who am I thinking of? Daniel Worrell put in an absolute masterclass of bowling. Took out Matty Wade uh, in the first over, then took out uh, my um, Supercoach BBL inclusion in Caleb Jewell. That was really, really good of me. And uh, then uh, got a couple of wickets at the end. Four for 23 in a big bash game is like taking seven for in a test. Yeah, he was huge. Uh, easy pick for a man in the match, especially getting weighed early. And uh, just the amount of wickets that they took in that uh, first power play, that was really the difference because it stunted the explosiveness of Short and McDermott and that. They just had to play different roles. I know Short did have a brief moment there, but once he got out, Bailey came in and they had to... They did well out of the situation that they found themselves in, but um, they just played it not on their terms, basically. It was all stars. Yeah, Short just didn't play smart enough for me. He he got to 35. I thought he was going to rescue them out of it at one point, put Zampa into the stands, but then he just went again once too often and, and got caught out uh, on the boundary. And uh, from that moment on, you felt that the momentum was all with the stars. Even though McDermott and Bailey um, were quite brilliant in the middle order and rectified it a bit, you always felt, knowing Hobart, that 150 uh, was never going to be enough. They needed at least 170 and um, in the end the Melbourne Stars got there fairly easily even though they lost Stoinis and Dunk quite cheaply then you thought that the Hurricanes were perhaps a chance once the run rate kept on uh, kept on diminishing and it kept on getting lower and lower and they only needed 8 and over then 7 and over then 6 and over you always felt that um, Melbourne were in the game the one bright spark for Hobart and perhaps they might be able to get him back next year hopefully was Quaze Ahmed um, pulled some really brilliant leg spin 3 for 33 but other than that, they didn't have anyone else taking wickets. Joffre Archer was off his game. Now, I've seen this before from Joffre. He's a very good player during the tournament, but in finals, just tends to maybe not bring his game up to where it should be. Yeah, um, 
the strange thing with him too was, and Ricky Ponting alluded to it a few times in the coverage, how he wasn't bowling at his maximum pace early on. He was bowling a lot of uh, off-break sort of change of pace, and it wasn't really necessary at the time. Like this is when they needed quick wickets at the start. They needed him to be at the batsman and take early scalps, but it was just, it was never going to happen with the, the sort of deliveries that he was bowling. So they missed a the trick there, and Maxwell and Gotch, they, they made it look easy towards the end, so I think uh, they were deserved winners. Yeah, and, and Faulkner got taken taken to uh, task pretty early as well. So it meant that really the, um, the Hurricanes lost any sort of momentum from uh, Ahmed's wickets. So the Stars got there in the end easily. Uh, the next match, you can almost say it was the match of the tournament if it wasn't for the for the final. The Sixers batted out of their skins in the first 12 overs. They were literally 121 with only a couple of wickets gone after 12 overs. But from that point, the, the, the Renegades pulled them back to restrict them to only 60 in the last eight. And usually the last eight is where you absolutely go ballistic and get at least 80 to 90 to 100. Probably for mine, the Sixers ended up falling 10 runs short from such a good position. They ended up on three for 180. Josh Felipe and Daniel Hughes were brilliant. Um, But the Renegades bowling through Christian, through Boyce, through Gurney, just tightened it up. Even though they weren't taking the wickets, they tightened it up and restricted the Sixers to what was not a good enough total in the end. Yeah, and with seven wickets still in the shed, they'll they'll definitely be thinking what could have been because the platform was there for a really big score and an entryway into the final. But as you said, uh, the bowlers bowled well at the crucial crucial uh, last few overs and and gave their batsmen a real chance to to chase down the total, and that's what happened. Yeah, look, I the Renegades, I, I thought were out of it. Two or three times during their batting, uh, during their batting display, but they just kept hanging in there and keeping up with the run rate, even though they kept them having a constant loss of wickets. Finch with forty-four was solid, but you thought when he got out, there goes their chance. You thought it all rested on Finch the way he was playing, but Harper and White provided solid support throughout, and then Dan, the man Christian, came in and finished it off with a plum. It was down to 30 off, I think, 14. All of a sudden, it was down to about 16 off 8. And from then on, Christian just took the game away from the Sixers. It was um, it was a mighty performance from Dan Christian. Yeah, it was. And I beg to differ with Finch's form. Um, he was probably only slightly better than a runner ball. So we didn't really see Finch hit top form at all throughout the, the series. And um, he didn't really have a great summer. So... Uh, it was definitely the likes of Dan Christian and uh, the cameos from Harper and, and White put in his best performance with the bat uh, when it counted, So, uh, or at least in that match. So, yeah, it, it was definitely a, a good team collective and that's what was so successful for them because, um, yeah, they, they only made three half centuries as a batting team throughout the tournament, which is quite surreal. Yeah, it all came down to their bowling and fielding. Um, Okay, much has been said of Aaron Finch as the batsman. But as a captain, he's got to be applauded because he just kept hanging in there, trying different things. And he's, he's captain of a Big Bash winning side. 
Yeah, fair enough. Um, it just, uh, I think he'd be the first to admit that it wasn't the season that he um, would expect of himself and it wasn't the most successful for himself. Uh, but obviously, uh, in team sports, that takes precedence. So, yeah, it'd be a mixed bag feeling for him, I'm, I'm sure. Mm. So, takes us to the final. So, it ended up with the Sixers being knocked out and ended up being a Melbourne derby for the final. Now, coming into this, just just let this sink in for a little bit. 15 matches and the Melbourne Stars had won 11. Renegades only four. The Stars had only lost once at Marvel Stadium or Docklands or what he had or whatever you really want to call it. Um. And in the last five matches between the two, they'd only lost one. So all the signs, really, pardon the pun, pointed to the Stars. Yeah, definitely. They were the, the red-hot favourite. And uh, for probably about 70% of the match, it, it looked that way. But um, with 2020, it is uh, somewhat a, uh, a 50-50. Uh, lots of crucial moments um, can really turn the game, being just the, the shorter format. So... Yeah, they weren't on the right end of it. But uh, what were your thoughts about how it all unfolded? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just going to go do a quick wrap. So the Renegades were um, scored sort of a subpar score. When you compare it to the Friday night match of 180-odd, they got five for 145. It wasn't a, a sort of subpar score. It was 100% a subpar score. Okay, let's go with it was 100% a subpar score, which was obviously, in the end, as we know, defended superbly. But for me, it was Tom Cooper and Dan Christian which turned it. An 80-run unbeaten stand. They were 5 for 65 and looked on their knees until Christian and Cooper got together. Now, look, let's not be um, let's not beat around the bush. Cooper and Christian weren't spectacular, but what they were was solid and got them to a score that they thought they could defend. Having only scored 132 earlier in the tournament against the Sixers, and the Sixers got bowled out for 99. So they knew how to defend the small total, I think. With the Stars, though... Which is... That's what Perth were good at for the last um, seasons. Like, Well, as, as far as I can remember, they were always defending small totals. So, yeah, maybe that's an underrated aspect. Mm, correct. And, look, Stoinis and Dunk uh, had the Stars at none for 93 after 12.5 overs, meaning in the last seven overs, they only needed uh, 53 runs to win it. And then the collapse. Yeah, and um, Maxwell came out and said that uh, Dunk and Stornis didn't put the game beyond doubt, and I agree with him to a certain... um, to a certain extent, uh, they were travelling beautifully, as you said, 12 overs. They were numb for 93. Uh, then Stoinis sparked the collapse, but I wouldn't hold him solely re- responsible because at 0 for 93, 10 wickets in hand, the shot that he played was there. Yes, the ball probably turned a little bit more than he expected. Maybe there was a hint of low bounce as well as he uh, looked at the pitch. So... I wouldn't say that it was Stoinis' fault, but definitely the way that Maxwell got out and then the way that Dunk got out, they're the ones that should really be hanging their head because they were two of the most stupidest shots that could have been played at that moment considering that the wickets were starting to tumble around them. And Maxwell could have been out three times before he got out. 
So he he really just didn't sum the the situation up well at all, and he should have played better, being such a seasoned uh, campaigner of a 2020 format. So I'm going to go with Stoinis got ahead of himself on that. He didn't really need to play that shot with the situation they were in. That That's my point of view. Just differs slightly to you. Um, Dunk, I agree with. Totally irresponsible in terms of there was only one more ball, I think, from Cameron Boyce left. And that was it. And he went straight down the ground, straight down the throat of the fielder there on the boundary. That was the turning point for mine. When Dunk went... He needed to stay, and he needed to get to 70 to 80, and the Stars win. It's as simple as that. The other one who I've got a big question mark on is not just Maxwell. Hanscom comes in, plays Cavalier. Why? It's not the type of style he plays, and he hasn't done that in Big Bash. He's played Cavalier, but once he's got himself set, he had time to get himself set, then go Cavalier. Um, really, really not not his game and really, really stunned. Perhaps the pressure in the moment got to Hanscom as well. And Maxwell, like you said, I think the pressure of being captain got to him and he didn't know how to handle it and he thought it was all on him. That That's what I truly think with Maxwell. Yeah, I think um, the situation definitely got the better of those of those players because, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it was a touch of nerves because the run rate didn't really seem to uh, lower at any time. So maybe they're... That was the the pressure that was just building up on them. They would have liked to have that run rate below six and over, and then sort of cruise from there. So, yeah, I, I guess it's you know full credit to the Renegades to be able to have that scoreboard pressure on them, and that was basically the only thing that that kept them in the game to that point. Yeah, look, it was incredible captaincy by Finch, I think, and uh, just kept believing in himself and believing that it would turn, and it, and it did. Um, and you've got to say that Dan Christian, Cameron Boyce, Chris Tremaine, Hen- and uh, Harry Gurney were all outstanding uh, in the collapse of 7 for 19 within five overs. The, the, one, the one decision, another decision that was made by Maxwell, which sort of astounded, I know, the... Um, uh, the commentators as well as myself, is you've got a guy out of form and you put him in ahead of a guy who's played a match-winning innings down in Hobart. It sort of stunned me a bit. I would have put Seb Gotch in ahead of Madison because Madison just, pace spin just looked all at sea. Yeah, Madison's another one that's been pretty disappointing um, for a number of reasons based purely on his, well, based on his uh, potential and the experience that he's uh, had being around the Australian squad. He hasn't really gone to that next level yet. Um, so, yeah, he, he he's a bit of a letdown for, for what should he should be delivering, I think. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. And um, so that brings us to... The end of the BBL and the Renegades were, well, you'd have to say deserved winners in the end. And the player of the finals and the player of the match was clearly uh, Dan Christian and uh, thoroughly deserved. Sort of winding back the clock, the old timer. Um, Very very clutch. Definitely clutch player. And look, he was one of my favourites. And look, maybe now if he was five years younger, you'd have him up there. Um, He sort of was in the wrong era for all-rounders and a bit of off-field behaviour, I think, put put pay to his Australian career, but um, tell you what, you consider him for a T20 spot, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think um, 
there's still a place for him. He's still playing great T20 cricket. He it was well documented after the game how he, he's uh, across a number of different continents and playing in successful sides. So he would be a great asset to to a T20 Australian makeup. Having said that, I couldn't find room for him in my team in the season as much as I wanted to. So we're gonna we're gonna take um, first of all before the team of the season though the players of the tournament. The uh, top three players were named, and at three was Matthew Wade. Very 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 good season by Matthew Wade. Marcus Stoinis, of course, f- fantastic season. Probably up until the final match. I mean, even then he batted superbly, but just uh, couldn't get it done. And Darcy Short was the player of the tournament by by a fair margin um, with his runs and obviously his wicket-taking ability with his uh, leg spin. So uh, that was the uh, official players of the tournament. Now we're going to go to our team of the season for the BBL. And feel free to um, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, um, and send us your BBL teams. Or um, if you, even if you want to uh, go back to our Ashes 11s, then uh, by all means, let us know. But I'm going to start off with mine. So at number one, I've got Matty Wade. I've gone with the Hobart opening combination. I've gone with Wade and Short. I think it's one of the best opening combinations I've seen in BBL history. I've got Stoyness at three. Couldn't couldn't break that partnership up. I've got Callum Ferguson at four. Solid tournament in the top uh, five for run scorers. So he had a very, very good season. A couple of matches where he got out for uh, Golden Ducks, but also played a magnificent 113 there as well. Ashton Turner in at five. I think when the Scorchers were going, he was a big reason for that. His runs and his wickets were vital to the Scorchers. I've got uh, Glenn Maxwell at six. He just sneaks in. Um, reasonable season with the bat, reasonable with the ball, brilliant in the field as always, but not his best. He can do better. I've got Rashid Khan at seven. His bowling was brilliant. Uh, again, for the strikers, kept them in the tournament as long as he could. Economy rate in the low, low sixes, which is brilliant in uh, in the T20 format of the game. Tom Curran at eight. He was probably the standout bowler for the Sydney Sixers, and they really did probably miss him to bowl at the death because he would have been uh he would have probably won it uh, against the renegades uh, i would think Such was his prowess. cameron boyce at nine which is a bit controversial because a lot of people have got Stephen o'keefe ahead of him but i just thought he had a really good tournament and i prefer leg spin to off spin that's my reasoning and uh he also had that brilliant 50 hit which was one of only three 50s for the renegades just remember that um josh layler at nine bit underrated uh, got a fair few wickets with the Brisbane Heat and also got a hat-trick uh, during the season. And he's a solid T20 bowler that has been solid for a few seasons now. So I'm rewarding him for his effort. Uh, at 11, I've got Kane Richardson. Probably unlucky to bat number 11. He's quite decent with the bat. Uh, leading wicket taker for the tournament with 24. Economy rate a bit expensive, but he took wickets when it was needed. Uh, and he was a big reason why the Renegades made the final song having Rich Show at 11. My 12th man, Stephen O'Keefe. Like I said, unlucky to miss out with Boyce, so if Boyce was to uh, not make it, I'd have Stephen O'Keefe. Now, over to your BBL team of the season, Hados. Okay, thank you, Rowie. Nice team. Uh, so uh, I back my team to take yours on, so we'll run through. Uh, I have broken up the Melbourne Hurricanes, uh, sorry, the Hobart Hurricanes opening partnership. I've still got Wade, so Stoinis is going to open up with Short. We've got the left-hand, right-hand combination there. Stoinis has, was 
uh, the second highest run scorer of the tournament and opened uh, with a plum. Matty Wade comes in at three. I've got Jonathan Wells as a bit of a surprise packet, but uh, what he brings to the Adelaide Strikers is a real anchor for the team. He had an average of 44, and he had a six times he was not out as well. So he's just that reliable anchor. He can um, play, play through the innings, rotate the strike, and uh, just be there at the end of the end of the innings. Uh, George Bailey comes in at five. He uh, probably has come on a bit in, in T20 because he, he really had some power hitting throughout the tournament. Um, Glenn Maxwell, again, another great power hitter. Dan Christian after him because he's uh, clutch play. He's handy with the ball and obviously we know what he can do with the bat. Probably uh, up there with Chris Lynn as the uh, most powerful in the competition. Rashid Khan uh, is the first spin bowler, first choice for me. And then O'Keefe, who had a great, great uh, series, as we know. Uh, Josh, I uh, do like Josh Laylor as well. He uh, took a, a lot of wickets towards the end of the season and, and nearly got the Brisbane Heat into the finals. Um, so he, he was very, very good and took that uh, hat-trick unbeknownst to him at the time, which was quite humorous. And uh, instead of Kane Richardson, I've gone with Shinwari. And uh, his economy rate, he only played the seven matches, so Richo is probably very stiff. And he obviously took the, the most wickets in the competition. But Shinwari was very economical as well as taking a good amount of wickets throughout the tournament. So that's why he edges Richo for me. Very, very, very good sides. Uh, I don't know that I'd like to see them play each other. I think it would be uh, very interesting, that's for sure. Um, so that sort of wraps up what was the longest big bash season on record. And the Renegades won it. So now uh, there's only two sides that haven't won a BBL. One of them was in the final. And the other one was in the semi-final. So is it the Stars or the Hurricanes' turn next season? And will there be a change-up to the final system, which could be the talk? Because I think this is the sixth time now that the top-ranked side has gone out at the semi-final stage. They haven't gone on to the big dance. And that's the talk. Do you do a uh, rest do, uh, one versus two, three versus four scenario, but then the winner of three versus four plays a loser of one versus two and the other one goes through the grand final. That could be what's on the agenda. I think um, they'll be trying to milk as many games out of the competition as possible, so maybe they might give a, a second chance draw to the top team or something like that. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I think with the finals they will be extended. I think with the minor season, though, they have to reduce it. It was just too long. It was too monotonous. It... I look, I love my cricket coming home on a, uh, you know, on a on a weeknight. But um, it was just the if the broadcasters are saying it's going on too long, and they dominate the money part of it, then it's going to change. I, I can tell you that right now. So just quickly, uh, Shield is back this weekend, uh, and I also saw last night. I'm getting a bit excited. Chad Sayers back for the Redbacks with the Duke ball. Just in time to make a late charge at an Ashes berth. 
Where are the Redbacks currently sitting? Because um, perhaps uh, Frankie Worrell and Chad Sayers could do a bit of damage. They definitely could do a bit of damage. And, um, yeah, I mean, Sayers and Worrell, brilliant uh, combination. And it just uh, depends who comes on out, on to- out on top. That's for sure. Yeah, it's still yeah, exactly. So um, there's um, going to be some interesting uh, weeks ahead with the shield over the next month. So we'll look we'll look after the uh, shield season how that's looking and how that's looking for the Ashes and who's played the Duke ball the best. Um, to finish off, we couldn't be remiss without uh, mentioning Sri Lanka's unlikely victory and Kusau Pereira, who let's not forget was concussed in Canberra played the innings of his life to win away from home over in South Africa. Yeah, that was one out of the box, I reckon. Uh, having a few a few hard-earned dollars on, on Sri Lanka at the, the long live odds would have been handy. So, yeah, I don't think many people saw that coming, but uh, well done to Sri Lanka. And uh, it's good that they're producing some better results uh, against South Africa. Yeah, that's probably one of the greatest uh, last innings. Uh, innings, probably one of the greatest innings you'll actually ever see if you get a chance to watch it. And uh, over the coming weeks, cricket will sort of take a little bit of a back seat as we look towards the uh, upcoming AFL season as we'll have something in store for that and continue on with the Premier League until it's conclusion but don't forget to uh send us your bbl teams of the season or your ashes 11s what you think might happen or either on our facebook page or on instagram um follow us on facebook or instagram at the sporting one on instagram and our facebook page the sporting one and uh podcast is available on the uh spotify anchor apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and Castbox. so we look forward to uh perhaps seeing your bbl teams of the season or your ashes 11s Yes, well done, Paulie. And I like how you've just glossed over the fact that you've had an incoming call and uh, the viewers and the listeners would have been able to hear it, yet no mention. What was going on there? Are you sure it was my incoming call or was it yours? I reckon it was yours. I don't have a time for mine. Neither do I. Interesting. We'll have to investigate that further. We'll investigate that further. And we'll get back to you on the next podcast about that, uh, which next week will be the Premier League and hopefully the start of the AFL. So we look forward to uh, speaking to you then. All right. Till then.